Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, welcome back, everybody. So many of our kids are going through challenges these days. Part of that is kids dealing with ADHD, autism, and other challenges for gifted students. And more and more cases are being discovered every single month here in our country. Where do they get help for that? Who supports them? I found somebody that is doing a lot of great work. He's a clinical psychologist. He's a professor, a speaker, and he's the guy that formed the Neurodiversity Collective in New Jersey, and he's back with us. Can I call you Dr. Matt? Would that be okay? That's what everybody calls me, so that's, that's perfect. Wonderful. Yeah. Welcome. How are you today? I am spectacular. Love having you here. This is such a big deal. And even in my circles, I'm hearing more and more uh, parents talk about challenges with their kids, not knowing what to do when it comes to their school and the right path to take. Am I hearing it right that more and more cases of even ADHD are, are being diagnosed nowadays? I mean, totally, totally true. And one of the things we saw is during the pandemic, when we lost the infrastructure support of school, um, you know, because school provides, it, is it, it is in itself an intervention, right, because there are teachers and there are rules and there are systems and schedules. When kids were trying to do schoolwork on laptops, on their kitchen tables or in their bedrooms or in the back porch, what we found is that without that infrastructure, without that scaffolding, kids were really struggling because, you know, when you're growing up, the part of your brain that keeps you focused, the prefrontal cortex, is the slowest part of the brain to develop. And that's what kids need the most support at. So we're seeing kids who are just sort of flailing without that infrastructure support. So that's led to to this sort of spike in ADHD diagnoses because we've got people who, you know, suddenly realizing their brains can't handle the workload that they're being asked to do. Wow. I have to tell you, Dr. Matt, I've never heard it explained that way. And it's so crystal clear now in terms of that portion of the brain developing slower. It's almost as if it's not catching up to their age and the the responsibilities and requirements of a student. Yeah. I mean, and one of the things we're seeing is schools continue to invest in academic rigor, right? They want more tests more exams, more homework, more classwork. I mean, I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. My five-year-old gets homework. Wow. And in school, sort of smile, and they pat themselves on the back, and they say, yeah, we're doing great. And it's like, but that's, it's actually not what young kids need. Young kids need less rigor, more support. I mean, the things that we've cut from school, like gym and recess and for the older kids, you know, shop class, home ec, stuff like that, those are the things that engage the other parts of our brain. And, you know, and when we lose those things, you know, we see kids who get a little bit more squirrely. They get a, they're, they're not getting all the parts of their brain stimulated, so they start to manifest that energy in different ways. Wow. You know, everything you're saying is now, I feel like the the pieces are falling into place, even in such that kids who are older in school 
The focus is all about get them ready for college, get them ready for college. Well, what if they don't want to go to college? What if they want to do a trade? We need those people too. But now they're forced academically to do things that really isn't in their wheelhouse. Uh, and I, I'm talking about you know students that aren't dealing with these kinds of challenges. Uh, so I'm just just to illustrate what you're saying, how school is maybe missing the mark in, in supporting the way that it should be right now. Oh, I mean, absolutely, right? And, you know, I, I was in a, I was consulting with a high school in New Jersey the other day, and, you know, all, all the times, you know, they're just saying college, 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 college. And, you know, I sort of poked my head out and said, well, you know, I mean, college is a tremendous demand. It's, it's intellectually rigorous. It's socially challenging. It's financially, it's a big deal. And I said, you know, for a lot of people, you know, I mean, if you're good with your hands and you can start working in construction now, you know, and if you're, you're, you know, you're working on that part of your brain that likes to build things and construct things, yep. you know, there's no reason to spend four years getting a degree that you won't use. You know, I, you know, people often joke that I am aggressively pragmatic and because it's like, listen, when you work with kids, you got to find the things that work and do those things, or you don't have time to mess about. And, you know, and so, and one of the teachers came up to me and she said, I've never had anybody say that it was, you know, the right thing for some kids based on what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So you sort of frame it like it's a failure, like, oh, if you can't do college, you can do a trade. No, I mean, if you, if you know in your heart of hearts right now, you want to work in the food service industry, if you want to be a chef, then it's, silly to spend four years not trying to be a chef, right? I mean, unless you're going to go to, like, Johnson and Whale, right, one of those great culinary schools. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I can honestly relate to this because I knew I wanted to do broadcasting since I was nine years old. I, I just said, that was it. I knew it. And I got my first big job barely before I was 18. I didn't have a driver's license. Big job. I'm telling you, it was. I stayed there for yep. almost 30 years at a radio station doing mornings and afternoons. Uh, I went to college, dropped out in one semester, and I'm 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 proud to say it. There are some things I wish I stayed for, like psychology, because I'm uh, fiercely mm-hmm. interested in it. But it, the college, I don't think, would have supported me. Wouldn't have everything that they were teaching there. I was doing in the real world in terms of call it my trade, you know, my career and all of that. Uh, So I understand it's, uh, I I think that we need to, we need to listen to what, what our students really, really, what drives them, what, what motivates them. How do you, in terms of what you put together and well, let's talk about that. The collective, the neurodiversity collective.com is your website. Tell us about that. Well, so I grew up as a gifted kid in New Jersey. Um, and, you know, in the 90s, it was very much, it was very much about how smart you were, mm-hmm. right? It was, you're going to go to Harvard, you know, people call the Einstein genius, all that stuff. And a lot of things came very easy to me, um, except, of course, for the things that my peers were good at, like sports and making friends. And I always felt out of sync with everybody. Um, and then I got to high school and got diagnosed with ADHD, and that explained a lot. You know, so I'm like, okay, that's making more sense. But by that point, I had found ways to work to my strengths and own the fact that I wasn't like everybody else. Mm. You know, I, you know, I, um, I went to the Center for Talented Youth summer camp, CTY, and it was four gifted kids that's run on college campuses during the summer. It was the first time in my life I realized, 
I don't have to pretend I'm somebody else here. I can be the, the best version of me here. And, and so when I you know, got out in the real world and got to become a psychologist, I said, I want to work with kids like me because not everybody know, knew what my parents knew. Not everybody had those good experiences. You know, we all try to become the adults we needed as kids, right? So I built a therapy practice and a consultation practice and, you know, professional speaking around getting the word out around these issues and how to support people who, are, who have different brains and a world that's not built for them. I'm so happy you said all that because it, it needed to be said, number one. Number two, as a, a professional speaker, one of your most requested talks is overcoming imposter syndrome, which you just described in yourself. But that doesn't just apply to kids. My gosh, even adults nowadays, it's, it's almost it's a thing now that we're doing, we're doing things that really maybe not support us fully just because we think we need to do them or we need to do them. Um, tell, tell me your thoughts on imposter syndrome. I'd really love to hear even more. Oh, boy. I mean, we can talk about this all day. How much time do you have? Uh, <laughs> Listen, I deal with this on a regular basis with friends. I've got a friend right now, very, very close, dear friend. She just took a job, kind of what she was doing previously, and... I can, she's like, I, I don't even know what I'm doing. They're not training me. They told me don't ask any questions. And she, she has anxiety. So it fuels it. She sometimes, and she works from home most of the time. She's like, sometimes I'm in the bathroom just crying. I can't even, I can't do this, but I need to support my family uh, because I'm not being who I really should be at this point. Well, and that, I mean, that's such a, oh, so, I mean, it's, I, I give a lot of different talks, and I, you know, the one that makes always makes people cry is the imposter syndrome talk, wow. because people don't know there's a word for it, and they don't know there's a path out of that. Um, it's so true, and you know what? I have to believe that many people feel like they're cheating. They want to be honest. They want to just say, this job is not for me, but for a number of reasons. And, and maybe it's the job. In her case, they don't train properly. She, I, I've been on the journey with her since uh, she started in May. Horrible training. And, and they even told her, yeah, we have people that after like a week or two, just go out to the parking lot and, and never come back. <laughs> what is that saying? Bye. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it feels like you're not being honest with whoever. Uh, could be you know in a relationship too, um, but you're not being honest to yourself, and that probably is the the most challenging and painful part of the the imposter syndrome, I would think. Well, and let's take that even a step further, right? Because one of the really sneaky things about imposter syndrome is that no matter how successful you are, you don't feel like you've earned it, right? So mm. you know, so when a kid who has imposter syndrome comes up to a teacher and says, "I don't belong in the gifted program," or I shouldn't be the lead in the school play or have an varsity in swimming. And the adult very instinctively says, dude, no, come on. Like you, you belong here. What we're actually doing, even though we don't mean to, is we're arguing with somebody's emotional experience, right? If you tell me you're sad and I say, no, you're not, you know, I'm just, I'm dismissing you. So when you say, well, tell me more about that, like, fundamentally connecting with people is about being curious, not critical, right? So if a kid comes up to you and they say, hey, you know, like, 
I really don't know if I belong at, you know, XYZ University. I mean, obviously they got in, right? I mean, functionally, you know, functionally we know they're here. What makes you feel like you don't belong here? Because imposter syndrome flows from a sense that I am fundamentally different than everybody else here. Hmm. So... Where so does like that come from, Dr. Matt? Yeah. Is it because it's kind of, a, I don't want to say classic, but but many of us deal from feeling that we're, we're not good enough. And that comes from maybe our early childhood, maybe our subconscious. Um, does that also fuel the, the imposter syndrome? Well, I mean, absolutely. Like, I mean, I am, I'm talking to you from Dallas right now, um, where I'm speaking at a conference, you know, the Texas conference for gifted education, and I mean, this is the third one of these I've done, and I've spoken at only over 400 conferences all over the world, wow. but every time I walk into one of these spaces, the first thing I think is, I'm not an educator, right? My, my doctorate is in psychology, and everybody else here has PhDs and EDDs and, you know, masters in education, and, and, it's, and it's silly because, you know, I, I mean, a doctor is a doctor, but you know, being aware of those differences, whether they are subtle or overt, makes you aware of how you are different than everybody else. You know? And makes you and feel that, that maybe you don't yeah. belong, I guess. There it is. Yep, you, you landed the plane. Nicely done. Wow. And you know, as, as you're saying it, I'm getting, like, your energy is so amazing that I wish I was there. And, and I'm not a doctor. I want to be in the audience just to hear, uh, because you are very relatable and very real, very genuine uh, in in how you describe and how you talk about all of these things that are big challenges for for our students now. People that um, I want to say a parent has has a child that's going through some some challenges. Would they reach out to you and uh, and be able to work with you in that capacity? I mean, definitely the. You know, the therapy aspect of what we do is, is growing. You know, we're hiring some new people because there's just so much need right now. You know, so yeah. we are really, like, trying to bump up that part as I do more speaking and consulting. Um, you know, so it's, you know, there's a balance like anything else. But, you know, the, the big thing is, you know, we want all kids to feel supported and understand their brains, right? Because, you know, I start all the work I do with, with brain science because in the absence of information, we create our own narrative. And those narratives almost always center ourselves as the problem. And so it's not that school isn't meeting my educational needs. It's I'm stupid. And once that thought takes root, it's really hard to unroot it. So fundamentally what we have to do with, with, with really, I mean, it's not just kids, but it's everybody. The idea is that we have to formulate, this is how your brain works, right? It's no different than if you were allergic to peanuts, right? Then I would make sure that you're not eating peanuts and you're eating foods that can give you protein that are not peanuts. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just taking the information we have and accommodating your life around it, you know, and, and that's, you know, it starts with that information, and the information becomes advocacy. I am so on your page when it comes to everything here, but especially educating about brain science. It runs way deeper than I could ever understand, but you make it understandable. And I have to tell you, when it comes to you know even ADHD, when we first started talking today, I have a better 
understanding and appreciation for what students who have ADHD, or I guess even adults, are going through in the way that you explained it before. Like, it, it's, it's coming much more clearer for me as to what's going on. But we were basic there, so it's understandable for everybody. But it's something that needs to be talked about. And I think we shy away from it because we're not doctors. We don't, we don't know. So we're like, ah, you know, I'm not going to be able to understand it. You made it very understandable. And I, I thank you for that. It's amazing. Well, I mean, I, that means a lot, and I appreciate it. it. I mean, that's what fundamentally I'm trying to do is, you know, I mean, I'm of this community, right? And I've, you know, I've lived the gifted kid life and, you know, the highs and the lows. And I've lived the ADHD life, and, you know, I mean, you'll see people say, like, oh, ADHD is a superpower. It's like, it sure can be, right? When I, when I did improv comedy and stand-up, being ADHD was super helpful, right? But mm. when I'm sitting in a three-hour consultation meeting and I want to, like, jump out of my skin, right, that yeah. is, that's harder, you know? So it's, you know, it's really, like, anything else, it's strengths and weaknesses, Right. But, but really empowering not only the kid, but the kid's system to understand those strengths and weaknesses, it makes our interventions and our systemic support about the individual person we're working with rather than what we want someone to be. Right? You have to teach the kid in front of you. You have to parent the kid you have, not the kid you wish you had. And I think there's a... There's a sort of come-to-Jesus moment for a lot of parents and educators because it's like, well, I wanted this kid to be ABC, but they're XYZ. And it's like, yeah, and it's not better or worse, but we've got to meet them where they're at. And find their strong points because we Mm -hmm. all, we here it is, and we all got something. We all have something to deal with, no matter what it is. And every anybody that says, "Ah, yeah, I'm perfect. I have no issues. I have no family issues." No, no, you'd be lying. You're not being true to yourself. We all have something, but we find the best way to work with them, or or our parents do or did to to move us forward. And sometimes, no, it's not easy. I I, I totally get that. Um, you're you're beginning in in all of this, to become a clinical psychologist? I know you shared a little bit, but what really springboarded you in that direction? The, thing, the biggest thing that springboarded me in that direction was, I mean, it's, it's sort of actually a funny story. Um, so I had always wanted to work with kids, right? But out of, um, right, after, right after college, I got a job working in a research psychology lab at Harvard. So I'm working there, and I, we were working 50-hour weeks for no money, um, and I got a lot of great experience. But at the end of the summer, I was so burned out. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be an academic. And I took the, you know, I found a job working in travel, and I worked there for four years, and I loved it. And it was, I mean, there was a bar in our office. I got to travel all over the world. It was spectacular. And then this, and then that summer, our company sponsored a, a local Little League team, you know, Very Bad News Bears, right? And then being around those kids, and we didn't win a single game, by the way. We were god-awful. Um, and, but being around those kids made me realize, like, oh, my gosh, I'm meant to be around the, those kids. And... Late, and then later that year, you know, my boss pulled me into a meeting, and they were like, 
we want to offer you a promotion, you're going to be a team leader, you're going to be a manager. You know, and I did that, like, very corporate thing. I was like, oh, I'm going to go home and think about it. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, you know, get a few extra thousand dollars out of them. But when I went home and thought about it, I was like, oh, my God, if I take this job, I'm going to be here forever. So I went back in the next day and resigned, and my boss was thunderstruck. He said, wait, wait, no, hold on. This isn't a negotiation tactic. You really want to leave. And I'm like, I really do because I really, the thing that set my heart on fire was working with these kids, not selling trips to Paraguay, as awesome as Paraguay is. So, you know, we set, you know, like we negotiated my exit strategy and I actually, you know, like it was a very nice leaving. I took a job working with autistic kids in South Jersey and it changed my life. Um, And from there I became a, you know, I got into grad school and five years later I'm like, okay, time to make this happen. And, you know, as I become a psychologist, really the, neurodiversity movement is exploding and we're understanding different brains and different people and I mean it just sort of feels like everything lined up in my favor. Incredible journey and what you're doing is so fantastic in getting the word out there because in just a few moments with you I feel like I've I've learned so much in understanding what people are going through nowadays. Uh, even friends who have children who have ADHD, you know, my children don't, but actually, you know, I'm going to take that back because my, my daughter did have some challenges and she wasn't officially diagnosed, but who knows at this point, you know, we're all dealing with something. Um, and I truly appreciate talking with you today. It's been amazing. If somebody wants to, to work with you, uh, Dr. Matt, would they just go to the website and, and start a conversation and, and see you know, if it's a right fit and if you can offer the type of, um, type of therapy or um, psychology that they need, how, do, how would it work? Yeah, they, they, you know, they can um, contact me via the website. And, you know, I mean, whether it's, you know, speaking to your organization to figure out how to support your employees who have these brains. Because, you know, you don't lose the brain when you leave school, right? You, you're ADHD mm. or gifted or autistic for your whole life. Um, or if, you know, you need me to talk to a school, um, or if, you know, you just need some information on how to best support your kid. I mean, a big part of what I do is I try and act like a clearinghouse and, you know, get information out there to people who, you know, who need to learn more about how their kid's brains work so they can serve them the best way they can. Fantastic. Best, uh, best way to reach you would be go to the website, the yep. neurodiversitycollective.com, right? And I know before we got on here, we uh, we talked for a couple of minutes about your your love of cartooning, uh, and I have the same. Uh, <laughs> it's just amazing when you meet somebody how there's a connection that you might not even realize right. until you talk a little bit. But it, but it's all about that communication, uh, Doctor Matt. Thank you so much for being here. Truly, truly appreciate all your insight on all of this, and I, I do view you as a clearinghouse. You're the guy with the information, the connection to really help somebody, especially a parent, find the right path to, to help their child, and I, I really appreciate it. Well, I mean, it, it was a pleasure talking to you, and, like, yeah, I mean, there's an instant connection, you know, and I hope we can do this again sometime. Oh, I would love to, and uh, good luck with the talk in uh, Texas today. All right, awesome. Thanks. All right, be well. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. 
Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the US Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids and the Ad Council.